So open your uh, Bibles or your phones, which me, I'm on my phone a lot. I have the Bible app on my phone. <clears throat> and turn to Revelation 1.5. And <clears throat> Revelation 1.5, <clears throat> and Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Um, I've been meditating on that verse for quite a little while now, and uh, there's just so much there. There's a lot to unpack, and I just want to talk briefly about the, the first part of the verse. Um, the first part is that he's the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, number one, he's the faithful witness. And in John 1, John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, and then in John 1, 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. Only the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Uh, in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then in John 14, 29 through 31, he says, Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has had nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let's go from here. So Jesus was the faithful witness. He came, he proclaimed everything that God told him to do. He says, I listen to the Father. The words I speak are from the Father. I don't speak on my own behalf. And he said that many times throughout the gospel accounts. Um, then when he went before Pilate in John 18, uh, verse 37, he, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say correctly, I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Jesus, his testimony was true. He was the faithful witness. And then in John 8, 28, Jesus said, when, I, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus is the faithful witness. And then in um, number two, he's the firstborn from the dead. Uh, in Colossians 1, <clears throat> talks about 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So he's the firstborn from the dead. Um, he holds, he's, I mean, this is, Colossians 1, John 1, there's many parts that talk about God's, Jesus' deity, that he is God. He is, he's the triune God. He's part of the triune Godhead. Um, it says that he made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So he, he is every, he created, he was, the, pre-existed before time. And then he stepped into time as a man, became a man and went and came to suffer for us on our behalf, uh, which we can get into a little bit more later. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So he's the first fruits. He's been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who are asleep. Um, and then the third part, he's a ruler of the kings of the earth. Uh, in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us his son through his spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he was inherited a more excellent way, name than they. For which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And then he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. Then in Hebrews 1.8, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, the righteous scepter of the scepter of his kingdom. So his throne is, will endure forever. He's, he's the son of David. He's called the son of David. He's the seed of Abraham. He said, God said that I will bless all the nations through your seed. He promised Abraham. And then, remember, the Pharisees wanted to stone him because they knew what he was saying when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they knew what he was saying. He's saying he's claiming to be God. <clears throat> and in 1 Timothy 6, 14, it says that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. And then Isaiah 9, 6, <clears throat> For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, and there will be no end to the increase of his government or, the, or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. 
And then in Revelation 17, 14, these will wage war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called faithful. Those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. I'm sorry. And then in Revelation 19, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so the, like I said, the first part of that verse, um, he's a faithful witness, he's a firstborn of the dead, and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. And so I just want to share a few scriptures briefly about, that talks about those things. And then the next part of the, the verse is, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. So I want to camp out for a while on the second part of this verse. This is the main part of the message. Um, <clears throat> so to him who loves us. I mean, do we really have a grasp of how much God loves us and how much the Lord loves us? Um, you could do a million messages just on God's love. That's what the Bible is. It's the greatest love story ever written right here. This, there's no greater love story. It's God's love for you than this this book right here. It's just amazing. Um, matter of fact, all the messages I've heard <clears throat> Joe preach over the many years that I've listened to him, sat under his teaching, in every single one of them, he talks about God's love. Every single one of them. He also talks about judgment, sin, repentance, and the cross, which is the greatest act of love in the history of the world. But... Uh, he does preach the whole counsel of God. And you won't hear that on the TV preachers, on a lot of preachers on the radio. They don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to talk about judgment. They don't want to talk about repentance. Uh, they just want to talk about tickle your ears, make you feel good, send me some money. Uh, that's a lot of them. I'm not saying all of them, but that's, that's the focus of a lot of them. And <clears throat> I think it's so difficult to get our minds around uh, how much God truly loves us or just we have a finite mind and to to understand God's love for us um, In Ephesians 3 Paul writes about God's love and how he wants us to really get a grasp and a better understanding uh, of that love and in Ephesians 3:14, Paul writes for this reason I bow my knees before the Father and from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And I don't think we will ever realize how much God's incredible love is for us. I don't think we can fully, it even says it's, it surpasses knowledge. It's like God, his spirit speaks to our hearts when we're filled with the spirit and he tells us how much he truly loves us and cares for us. And he wants us to share that love with others, you know? And, you know, I think Paul, of all people, spoke about love probably more than anybody besides Jesus in you know, the gospel accounts in the New Testament. And 
because he was, he was a changed person. God had changed his heart. He went from Saul the terrorist to Paul the apostle, you know, and he had a radical transformation. Um, just, you know, probably the most popular Bible verse there is, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in Ephesians 2.4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So this, because of his great love with which he loved us, Paul writes in Ephesians. This, it's just an incredible love. When you know you're loved, it just gives you this comfort. Like when your spouse or a, a parent or somebody loves you, just, it just gives you a comfort and a peace in your heart. Wow, I'm loved, you know? But God's love is far beyond any human love, and, it's just, and it reaches deep into our souls. And when, when you experience God's love, the more you experience, the more you seek him and read his word, it's like he reveals more and more how much he truly cares for you. you know? Like I said, this book's the greatest love story ever written. Um, in 1 John 4, 9, It says, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, love, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because, he, he, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and no one who fears is, <clears throat> is not, and one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Um, we can't love God unless he draws us, you know, unless he loves us. Everyone here that knows the Lord, that's been born again, that's a blood-bought believer, the Spirit drew you to him. It was his work. He causes the growth, it says. Someone maybe shared with you, or maybe you had a radical transformation, like Joe, who nobody witnessed to him. He just, God came to him. He cried out to God. But most of us, someone took the time to share the Lord with you, and... That's an incredible act of love in itself, just a selfless act to, to share. Hey, you know what? You're on the wrong path. You need, you need help. You need the Lord. Um, in Isaiah 54, 10, it says, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, 
and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Mm. And then uh, Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. And in Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Um, <clears throat> and then 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. And such we are, for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. <clears throat> to think about that, to, that you're a child of God, that just, that freaks me out because when I was, before I was a believer, I was hostile to the God, I was hostile to my own family even, to everybody, to the whole world. I wasn't a good person. I did a lot of bad things that I'm ashamed of. But when God drew me and I came to faith in him, it's like he showed me this incredible love that I became his child. And then when I realized, well, he created me anyway. He's the one that formed me. He's the one that created me. He knows me. He knows me better than anybody. That just, um, it's hard to get, for me to get my mind around that. You know, and once we know this love, it should change us, like I said. Um, <clears throat> John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so, you know, are we loving one another? Are you caring for other people? Do you show that love? You know, I fall way short. Believe me, you can ask my wife if you don't believe me. So I, I'm not anywhere near perfect, but God has truly changed my heart. I'm not the same person I was. Uh, there's actually someone sitting here right now that knew me before I was a believer, and she'll vouch for me. So that I'm definitely a different person today. So thank God. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, <clears throat> so in Romans... 13.8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And then in Galatians 6.2, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You know, are we, are we bearing one another's burdens? Are you helping people? Are you reaching out to somebody that's hurting? You know somebody that's going through a tough time. Are you avoiding them or... Not that you avoid them on purpose, but are, are you making time out of your busy day or your schedule? Hey, you know what? I'm going to fire them a text and encourage them, give them a scripture. I'm going to just, I know they're struggling, or hey, you need anything, or you want to get together, you want to talk. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the, in our busy society here in America, and I know me, I'm so busy all the time and on the go. Um, my time's probably one of my greatest resources. And so when we sacrifice our time, you know, to help somebody else out. It's, it really speaks volumes to people, and I think it, <clears throat> it helps them, like, wow, someone, like, thinking about me, someone cares about me. And ultimately, if we're in prayer and the Lord puts that person on our heart, it's the Lord who's reaching out to them, and he's the one that's ministered to them. And he just, we're his hands and his feet. He wants to use us, you know, to, to help people out. And so, you know, are we doing that? Are we bearing one another's burdens? Uh, <clears throat> Bible says in Romans 12, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Um, or, you know, are we doing that? I saw this uh, little saying, quote, 
years and years ago, and I always remembered it, and it's kind of stuck with me, and it kind of fits in here, and it says, a joy shared is twice the joy, but a pain shared is half the pain. So when you rejoice, and it's so biblical, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. When we, <clears throat> when we share a joy with someone, you're joyous with them. It's like double the joy. All right, you know, it's happy. Something great happened. But when someone's having pain and, you know, and you help share that, bear that burden with them, um, you know, this quote said that it's a pain shared is half the pain. So you come alongside somebody and help them in their time of struggle, in their pain, you know, and hey, life is tough. We all go through hard times. There's, we always go through, <clears throat> things happen. I don't care who you are, no one's exempt from it, you know, everybody, and in our own strength, we can't do anything, and we need, we need each other. We need each other to help us, and to build us up, you know, the Bible talks about that, building one another up, encouraging one another day after day. And these are the things that I know the Lord wants to do for us, you know, and this is part of that love uh, that he says, for he loves us. And so when we experience that love, he wants us to share that love with others. Second uh, Corinthians 5 says, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, Therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So we're not supposed to live for ourselves. And yeah, I mean, we have to take care of things, and you know, we have life and struggles, we have to make a living, we have to provide for families, and women, you know, you're homemakers, you gotta raise your children, you gotta, there's so much to do uh, that we have to think about, but, we're not supposed to live for ourselves. You know, where's your mind? Where's your heart? Is your heart for God? Are you living for the Lord? You know, that's, what's, that's what he wants us to do. That's what his word says. Um, <clears throat> you know, is, is Christ's love <clears throat> controlling you? Or are you just living for yourself, you know? Are you being controlled by the love of Christ? In 1 Peter 4, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so we're stewards. God's entrusted his love to us to share to others. We're not supposed to just sit there and keep, keep it all in a, get all this love and just like, okay, forget you and forget the world and forget everybody else. You know, God, God's, we're stewards. We're supposed to be taking care of this love and passing it on to others, you know. That's what his word says. And then Psalm 63, it says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, uh, are you thankful? That's part of experience God's love. Are you grateful? Are you thankful for what you have? You know, I heard a <clears throat> another quote years ago, and it goes like this, basically. <clears throat> what if you woke up this morning and the only things you had were everything you thanked God for yesterday. 
you know? A lot of us would be missing a lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of blessings, a lot of things we wouldn't have, you know? And that just rung, rang true with me, you know? What if I woke up this morning, the only things I had left, the only thing I had were everything I thanked God for yesterday. Some of us wouldn't have much, you know, me included. I, you know, I need to be more grateful and more thankful, you know, for what I have. You know, we're so blessed. We have so much. Even those of us that aren't considered well off, you know, even lower class people, we're, we're rich compared to the rest of the world, you know. We've been given so much. We're so blessed here. Um, <clears throat> and are you praising God and giving thanks for everything? You know, even in most difficult things. We're supposed to thank God for the difficult times, you know. Everybody wants the good stuff, but nobody wants to go through the bad stuff, you know. Uh, when I met my wife, Rochelle, she said, people stumble because they love the blessing more than the source of the blessing, you know. And that always rang true with me. It's like, wow, she's so right, you know. We're supposed to love the source of the blessing, not the blessing. The blessing is just a byproduct, you know, of what God's given us. And, and we're so blessed. We have so much. We really are. But even when we're going through difficult times, you know, he wants us to cry out to him and to praise him. You know, could you be like Job? Could you? I, I, I would like to think maybe I could be, but I really don't think I could be like Job. Um, he not only lost everything, and not just all his possessions, but 10 children. He lost all his kids. Can you imagine the, the gut-wrenching pain he was in, you know? He lost every, every worldly possession he owned, and then he lost his 10. And immediately when he heard, that was the last thing he heard. He heard about all his possessions first, and then the servant came and told him about his 10 kids. And what was his response? In Job 1.20, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. You know? Are you blaming God because you got dealt a bad hand because your your circumstances, you know? We're supposed to praise him for that. In those, he uses those things for us to cry out to him. You know, he wants us to be with him. You know, he wants us to, that's why he allows things in our lives so that we will, we have, so if everything's just great all the time, we're going to forget God. What does it say in Proverbs? It says, <clears throat> don't give me too little or too much that I'll forget <clears throat> forget you, or don't give me too little that I'll steal and profane your name, but give me my portion, you know? And so, but God wants us to cry out for things. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us, you know? We're supposed to, it says daily. It says daily bread. It doesn't say monthly bread or weekly bread. It says every day we're supposed to be, you know, asking for that, you know? We're supposed to be in communion with him. Um, or could you be like the apostles, who were beaten for sharing the gospel. You know, in Acts 5, 40, <clears throat> says they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then release them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing 
that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So they didn't care what man did to them, but they wanted to honor God. And it says they were flogged. We think, oh, flogged. Back then, what a beating was, I mean, you were probably ripped open raw skin on your back. I mean, you were, you were beaten. They were brutal how, when they disciplined you back then uh, in the first century. So, you know, the apostles, they, they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer for Christ, you know. And they just kept right on doing what God wanted them to do. And that, to me, that's amazing. It's like how many of us would, would cower and just say, okay, all right, I won't do that anymore. You know, because tough times are going to come. I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime, but there's going to be a time when you're going to have to take a mark to buy, sell, or trade. You know, and you could lose your head for your faith. Are you willing to stand firm in that? You know, God wants to prepare us for that. If that's what he has for us, you know. It says to, the, <clears throat> to captivity, those, if you're destined for captivity, you'll go to captivity. If you're destined for death, you'll be put to death. If you're to flee, you'll flee. You know, and we don't know. We don't know when that will happen or how, but are you, are you ready if it does? You know, is your heart resolved? Do you have that resolve? Like, hey, I want to, you know, I'm going to just serve you no matter what. And I, I sit and think about it sometimes. I go, I don't know if I could pass that test. I don't know if I'm strong enough. And, and none of us are strong enough in our own strength. And that's why we need all the more to cry out to God daily and be filled with his spirit and say, Lord, strengthen me, help me. I'm so weak, I'm so feeble, you know. I can't do, I, apart from you, I can do nothing. Um, so when the love of God, you know, has changed us, you should be able to give thanks in all and every circumstance, you know. This is something I, like I said, I definitely fall short of, but God is so loving and patient with us. Uh, <clears throat> it reminds me of a story. Um, of uh, Corey Tim Boom and her sis sister Betsy. Uh, they were a family of watchmakers and they lived in Holland during uh, the Second World War. And they were believers, they were Christians, and <clears throat> they were hiding Jews. And it's estimated that they helped save uh, 800, over 800 Jews from being sent to the continent to being murdered. So it's pretty amazing. There's the Avenue of the Righteous in Jerusalem. I don't know if anybody's ever been there people that have visited Jerusalem. Uh, and there's a tree planted on the Avenue Righteous in her name, in Corey Tim Boom's name. Uh, their family, it's pretty amazing. Her, her great-grandfather started a prayer meeting in 1844 to praying for the Jews, a meeting to start to pray for the Jews. And exactly 100 years later, his, fam his descendants were arrested in 1944 for, for harboring Jews and saving Jews. So that's like, you think about, wow, legacy. You pray now what you pray now. He didn't get to see that fruit, you know, two, three generations later, you know. So what are you doing for, for your children now? What example are you setting? You know, are you praying for them? What's your legacy going to be? Um, <clears throat> so, like I said, they were arrested in February of 1944 for hiding Jews from the Nazis uh, in Holland. They were held at, <clears throat> let's see if I can pronounce this name properly, Schwenigen Prison, and then transferred to an internment camp in Vaught, Netherlands, 
Finally, they were sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp for women in northern Germany um, because they were helping God's people, because they were helping Jews. And the Nazis did not like that. If you were caught doing that, you were made <clears throat> a spectacle of. A lot of times they would uh, kill your entire family or arrest them. That's what they did. They arrested the whole family and put them away. Unfortunately, their father, who was, I believe, in his 80s, 86 at the time, uh, he was arrested as well, and he died 10 days later in a hospital, prison hospital a hallway, like he probably wouldn't even be treated. He died 10 days later. Uh, <clears throat> when they first arrived at the concentration camp uh, at Ravensbrück, um, they became infested with lice. They sat down, and there was just lice everywhere. And in, in the straw, and in the, because they were outside at first, and the blankets, and then there's just, now there's lice all over them, and they're infested with them. And Betsy and Corey's freaking out, and Betsy says, Corey, we need to give thanks in everything, even for the lice. And Corey said, this is in her book, The Hiding Place, Corey said, I told her I can give thanks, but I can't give thanks for the lice. You know, I, I can't, sorry, God, I just can't thank you for lice. I just, I don't know how I can do that, you know. But Betsy, Betsy had the right mindset. She goes, Lord, we need to give thanks in everything. You know, that's what it says in First Thessalonians. Give thanks in all things. And it turns out that God used the lice in a mighty way. Because their entire barracks were infested with lice, the guards didn't go into their barracks, okay. And this, you got to remember, this is a women's concentration camp. Many of the women were being sexually assaulted and raped. The lice saved them from being, none of the guards would touch them. So, you know, you think about, wow, God used those lice to protect these women. And also, it, it also allowed them to have Bible studies and lead many of these women in their barracks to the Lord. Betsy, and they had smuggled in parts of the Bible. They had some of the Gospels, and they had smuggled in the concentration camp. And they were having Bible studies in the brick because the guards didn't want to come in. So if they were caught doing these Bible studies, they'd be severely punished. But they were leading women to the Lord, you know. And that just, that just blows my mind, you know. <clears throat> she served God and allowed him to use her even amid the most deplorable conditions, you know. Still allowed. Imagine, can you imagine what they were going through? I mean, just to be in a concentration camp and how awful it was, you know. But she knew in her heart that God was allowing this horrific thing in her life for a reason. Um, her sister Betsy got sick. She was very sick, and she died on December 16, 1944, after being in the concentration camp for several months. Um, and two weeks later, on December 30th, Corey was miraculously released from Ravensbrück <clears throat> concentration camp because of a clerical error. Miraculously. So she wasn't supposed to be released. There was a clerical error. But we know who caused that error, right? So she was released. And what's amazing about this story is that 10 days after she was released, all the women in her age group were sent to the gas chambers and killed. So she would, if she stayed there, she would have been dead. But I know many of you know the, the story of her, read her books, or seen the movies and stuff, but 
she went on for almost 40 years to talk about God's forgiveness, mainly God's forgiveness, God's patience, God's love, and shared that with people. God used her life in a mighty way. So his clerical error, he had something in mind. It's almost 40 years she served the Lord. So she served the Lord her whole life in tough circumstances, in better circumstances. God spared her life because he wanted to use her. You know, are we willing to be used by God? He wants to use all of us. You know, even though we know we're not worthy, but it's not about us. It's about him, and he wants to, he wants to use you in a mighty way. You know, he uses the, the simplest of people. You know, you don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be this Bible scholar. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be willing, just willing and have a heart, you know. And God wants to use you. You know, and just three years after her release in 1947, uh, she was at a church in Munich, Germany. I'm going to read the excerpt. This is from her book, The Hiding Place. Uh, And it talks about how she's still learning to forgive. And it says, I was in a church in Munich. It was in a church in Munich that I saw saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message of God's forgiveness. That's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the, the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking past this man naked. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had just been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And as he walked up to her, he he said, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. So he didn't even know, remember her. He didn't know who she was. And it says here, I had to do it. I knew that the message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. God says, love your enemies so that you'll be like, don't just love those who love you, but love your enemies so that you'll be like your, you're like your father in heaven. He loves his enemies. Um, But then the man, but since that time, the man went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. His hand came out, will you forgive me? And she said, and I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven, meaning she knows that she's a sinner and her sins need to be forgiven every day and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? 
It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too, forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus help me, I prayed earnestly. I can lift my hand, I can do that much. You, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand out into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did that. God's forgiven you such a great debt. How dare us not forgive others? You know, this is, I couldn't imagine forgiving someone that did that much harm to you and your family. But that's what God calls us to do, you know. No matter what someone's done to you, you need to forgive them can't that bitterness in your heart. I don't care what they've done to you. You've done worse to God. You've done way worse than what anything anyone's ever done to you. That story just, I've always remembered that story and it's just like, wow, how could you do that? It's just so amazing, only, only by the love of God can we do that. But like she said, it's an act of the will. It's not an emotion. I have to willfully decide to forgive somebody. It's not just, oh, I'm going to go by my emotions. Uh, when the love of God has changed you, you should be able to give thanks in all and every circumstance. Uh, you know? Uh, Corey died on her 91st birthday, on her birthday. Uh, in 1983, her last words where there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And that's so true, you know. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God's love is much deeper than any pit, anything we've gone through, anything, any hurt, any pain. His love, and he wants us to, to have that love for others. You know. Love forgives, you know, that's the message of the gospel, that we can be forgiven. I mean, that's the good news. You can be forgiven. You don't have to pay for your own sins. Your sins have been paid for, you know? God is just so incredibly merciful and compassionate on us. You know, can we trust God in our darkest hour, you know? Can we forgive as we've been forgiven? You know, everybody wants mercy but, and forgiveness, but most people don't want to extend it, you know, and 
that's, that's, we need to check our hearts. Um, you know, Betsy and Corey, they knew going through that difficult time and they knew that God causes all things together to work for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if we have that mindset and know that, you know what, no matter what I'm going through, I know God's got this. He's, he's allowing this for a reason. I don't know why. I don't understand. There's so many things I don't understand why it happened, why I've gone through, why I see other people go through, and I don't, I don't understand. But I do have... I just thought of this verse, so turn to Isaiah 55. These two verses always give me comfort when I don't understand things, when I don't know, when I question or I don't understand, I don't know what's going on. But in verse 6, it says, or in verse 8, I'm sorry. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God, how far is the heavens from the earth? I mean... The heavens are so much higher than the earth and that's how much farther his thoughts are than our thoughts or his ways than our ways. So his ways are love your enemies, our ways are hold resentment and our flesh to not forgive. Uh, but those 55, eight and nine just have always brought me solace and like, okay, I don't have to understand because God does. His ways are higher than my ways. You know, I don't have to know what's going on, you know, because I know he does. And I'm his child and he loves me and he's gonna, he wants what's best for me. Um, you know, so where's, you know, if we trust God in our darkest hour, you know, we can be forgiven. You know, and what can't, like I said, can we forgive others as we've been forgiven? In Hebrews 12.1 it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." And then I think this verse three, this really as I started meditating on this this week really spoke to my heart. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I think when people are being persecuted or going through a hard time like that, consider, Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured, he endured such hostility by sinners against himself. It says, so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, he's, he's, look what he went through. You know, he says, a servant's not greater than his master. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. You know, uh, John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all things they will do to me, they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. And then in Matthew 24, 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and they will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. But because lawlessness has increased, most people's love will grow cold. But, there's a big but right here, but, the one who endures to the end will be saved. So I mean, he's warning, he's saying, hey, you know what? Difficult times are coming. This is talking about the end times, the last days. You know, it says many people's love will cold, grow cold. Lord, help keep us in your love. You know, and that's, like I said, you could do a million messages just on God's love. It says, and then the rest of the verse, of the second part of the verses, and released us, from our sins by his blood. So in John 8, 31, Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So if you're a believer, if you're a blood-bought believer, you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've given your life to him, you've been set free. And sin in the Bible is compared to being a slave, being a, you're a prisoner to it. Uh, you're in bondage, you know, you're in chains. How many people know you? I mean, you see people, look at drug addicts, they're just, you know, a lot of us used to do drugs when we were younger, and you're in bondage to it. That's all you think about is getting more and doing more, and you're enslaved to it, you know. You, you beckon its every call. But God set us free. He set us free. You know, have you been set free? Or are you letting your past not only dictate how you think, but how you live and act? So just remember, you're not the same person that you used to be. Uh, well, you know, people say, oh, Jim, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know how bad I've been and how bad I've messed up. I've tried and tried, but I can't live right. I'm so weak. Yeah, you are weak. We all are. You can't do it. On, it's impossible to do it on your own strength. We desperately need the Lord. He tells us in John 15, I mentioned it earlier, that apart from him, we can do nothing. We need to abide in him. God knows what you're going through. He knows everything about you. He created you. He knows how weak you are on your own. He knows that. That's such a comforting thing to me to know. God knows my weaknesses. He knows how weak I really am. He's, he knows me better than anyone. He created me. In Psalm 139, 13, for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when there was yet as one of them. You know, God created you. He knows. You know, when you read this verse, it makes, how could you not realize that that's a life, that's a baby in the womb? God knit that together in the womb. And this country's guilty of putting to death millions of those children in the womb. And then in Psalm 103.8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. He knows. He knows how we, you're dust. He formed you out of the, he knows you're dust. It's funny, my pastor friend uh, in Colorado, Kim Richmond, I remember him teaching on this years ago, and he says, yeah, we're just a bunch of dirt clods. You know, we're just, we're, we're made from dust. But God knows that. He knows how weak we are. He knows we can't do it on our own. That's why Jesus said, you can't do anything. Well, apart from me, you can do nothing. You know? And so when we have this weakness, like I said, God knows our weaknesses, but he wants us to come to him. Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I mean, it says he cannot, says we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way we are, but he's perfect. He's the God man. He didn't sin, but we blow it. But so when we have him living in us, when his spirit fills us, he gives us a way out. We don't have to, if we choose to sin, you know, actively do a will, act, willful act of sin, it's out of rebellion. You know, yeah, we sin in word, thought, and deed on a daily basis. Nobody is perfect. There's no such thing as sinless perfection. We all, we're all sinners. We all fall short. But is that your heart? Are you practicing sin every day? Or is it just uh, the exception, not the rule? So... First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So, you know, we don't we're without excuse. If we fall, if we blow it because of our weakness, of it's because we didn't cry out to God, we didn't go to God. We do it on our own, we're going to fall flat on our face every time. Believe me, I've done it. I've tried it. I tried the on-your-own program, and it doesn't work. So you don't learn from my mistakes, okay? You don't have to do it on your own. Um, you know, God knows what we're going through. 
He knows everything. He knows everything about you. Like I said, he formed you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the number of hairs on your head. God knows you. He knows all these things. You know, and people say, oh, well, you don't know what I've done. God doesn't want me. Yes, he does. You don't understand. God, if that's part of getting a grasp of his love for us, the height, the depth, the width, you know, of his love. You know, and, and he knows that we're going there, but we're different. We're, we're new now. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So you're not the same person you were. If you're in Christ, you're a new person. You're not that same person you used to be. You may not be the person you want to be, but you're not the person you used to be either. You know, your sanctification, you're in a growing process. You know, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. We all know that verse, you know. We should all walk around with signs on under construction, you know, because that's what we are, you know, spiritually speaking. In Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So I believe a lot of people are still living in bondage or in prison because, like I said, they're trying to do things on their own, but they haven't changed their mindset. They don't realize they've been set free, you know? I've read stories about people that do a lot of time in prison. They get out, they're still in prison in their mind, you know, because they, that's all they know. So we have to, and that's the way we are when we're in bondage to sin. That's all we knew. So we have to uh, have a new mindset. And that's part of <clears throat> what the scriptures talk about. Um, I'll quote the first part, hopefully properly, but I only have part of it written down. But in Philippians, I think it's 4, 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Make your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. So, so his peace will guard your heart and guard your minds. And then the one I have written down is right after that, 4.8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence... And if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I mean, that's, where's your focus? Where's your mind? Is it on what's good, lovely, honorable? Or is it on, you know, when Satan will want to poison our minds? And we, how, how, how many times have you got a thought you're fine, and then you get this thought, and then, man, you're way off base. You're because you get bitterness, or your resentment towards somebody, or you're, you're thinking, you know, horrible things. Driving on the freeway, man, that's been my struggle, driving for years. It's like someone cuts me off. I have a murderous heart. I just, I, get, I, I got to admit it. I get upset. I, that's my flesh. That's something, one of my struggles, you know, my flesh. You can ask my wife. I get angry. You can ask Lisa. I get angry, you know? So, so not only have we been released from the penalty of sin, but we've been granted a full pardon. 
In Micah 7, 18, who is, like, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast them into the depths of the sea. In Jeremiah 33, it says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and will rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity which they have sinned against me and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. What is a full pardon? The definition of a pardon, legal definition. A full pardon is a pardon which remits the punishment and blots out the existence of guilt. Effect of full pardon is that the eyes of the law, the offender is as innocent as if they had never committed the offense. It removes any disqualifications or punitive effect stemming from conviction. Wow. Doesn't mean they didn't do the crime. It means that they, now they're in good standing. And that's what Christ did for us on the cross. By his blood, he took away our sins. Now we're in good standing with God. You know, we've been pardoned. We have a full pardon. And there's only one way to receive this pardon, and that's the blood of Jesus. And released us from our sins by his blood. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2.13. Colossians 2.13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh... He made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting decrees against us, which were hostile to us, and he has taken them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross. Hebrews 10.19, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have great a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. First Peter 1.1. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now this pardon has been made possible by the atonement for sins, Jesus dying on the cross, and that's the only way. He's the perfect sacrifice. If you address, First Peter, if you address his father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time on the stay of earth, knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, blood of a lamb, as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. The problem is that we're all guilty before God. Uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Psalm 53, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable injustices. There is no one who is, does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands, who seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one's ever... That's just it, but that's the good news of the gospel, you know? That's, 
Gospel means good news. That's what it literally means, the Greek. Euangelion means good news, that you don't have to pay for your own sins, that someone took that sin debt for you. In Isaiah 53, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. We're all in desperate need of this pardon, you know, and you can have that pardon. You can be cleansed today. You can have it today. Maybe you've fallen away. Maybe you once knew the Lord or walked with the Lord, but he wants you to return to him, you know. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. You can be pardoned. You can have new life. If you don't know the Lord, this, this, he's, he's offering salvation to you. Only by putting your faith and your trust in him and Jesus, what he did for you on the cross. And like I said, if you once knew the Lord and gotten away, he wants you back. You say, oh, I've blown it. You don't know, I'm no good. No, that's the enemy telling you. Like Joe mentioned a week or two ago in a message, Satan condemns, the Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit is a master surgeon. He knows exactly where to go in to convict you and to write into your heart. It's just he doesn't cut too deep to where it's going to injure you, but he knows where to get you. He's the master surgeon. And he's calling, maybe he's calling you today and wants you to come to him. So let's pass out communion.